the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through 1 Samuel. Real love is calling, listen, opens up your eyes. Now imagine this, you go to the house of the Lord and you completely lose your appetite. Why? Because of strife happening in the home. And this is not too unlike even today. There are different times you will come to church and feel like I can hardly listen to the Bible study. I can hardly worship. I can hardly want to talk to people. Why? Maybe there's strife going on at home, difficulty in a marriage or difficulty with kids. It can really interfere with our walk with the Lord. And so we have to work harder at trying to focus on the Lord and not getting caught up. When it comes to our attention in really any area of our life, things tend to interfere constantly. Our schedules can get busy and distracting very quickly, and that can be extremely stressful. In today's message, Pastor Gary will remind you to give all that worry and anxiety you're carrying to God. He can handle all the drama in your life. He can handle anything and everything, so let him. Let him take all that so you can put your attention on the important things in life, like your family, friends, and your faith. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 1, with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. Verse 1, Now there was a certain man of Ramathaim Zophim, of the mountains of Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroam, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuf, an Ephraimite. Now, by the way, in the margin of your Bible, you can just write uh, in the margin 1 Chronicles chapter 6, 1 Chronicles 6, 22 to 26. In 1 Chronicles 6, it says that Elkanah is a Levite. It doesn't tell us that specifically here, but that's how we know he is of the tribe of Levi. He's a Levite, and thus his sons will also be Levites, including, of course, here, Samuel. And verse 2 says, And he had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, and the name of the other, Penina. Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. And this man, talking about Elkanah, this man went up from his city yearly to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. All right, pause there for a moment. So uh, the, the Bible tells us that uh, Elkanah is a very devout man, and he's going to go to Shiloh to make sacrifices. Now, Shiloh is uh, the location at this particular time of the tabernacle of the Lord. Remember, before uh, Solomon built the permanent structure in Jerusalem, the temple unto the Lord, 
there was a temporary temple known as the tabernacle or also known as the tent of meeting. And it was, uh, it was just that. It was a tent. It was mobile. But at this particular time, it was situated in Shiloh. Now, Shiloh is about 15 miles uh, north of where Elkanah lives, which tells us in verse 1 was Ramathaim Zophim. So he travels about 15 miles here to get to Shiloh, uh, and he does it every year. And it tells us that he's offering sacrifices. Now, there are different types of sacrifices in the Bible. The kind of sacrifice that it is believed he's offering here is known as a fellowship offering or a peace offering, which would involve the slaughtering of an animal, but this was not a guilt offering for the sins of the people. This was a fellowship offering, a peace offering. He's worshiping the Lord. And typically what would happen is when you would bring a fellowship offering, you'd offer an animal uh, in, in sacrifice to the Lord, and the priest then would help you to slaughter it, and then a third of the animal would go to God as a sacrifice. It would be burned up on the altar. A third of the animal would go to the priest as a way to help support the priest. They would, they would eat it. It was part of helping to support them. And the last third, you would eat with your family right there in Shiloh. You basically have a barbecue. Now, if you go today, and we don't anymore because Shiloh is a part of the West Bank, but in the first couple of years that I was leading tourists to Israel, we used to go to Shiloh, you can actually stand within that tent area where it previously was located because there's an outline of stones where the tabernacle used to be. And I've stood in the middle of that, right where this story is happening, there are shards of pottery still there all over the place. Um, I may or may not have brought some home. But anyway, um, and, I, and I don't have any to show you because I may or may not have brought any home. But you can see a bunch of shards of pottery. Why? Because as the people would come there to offer their sacrifices, a third of a fellowship offering would be a barbecue. You'd actually eat it there. You'd cook it and eat it there. And there's all this leftover pottery and just shards of, and pieces of, of former plates and cups as part of worshiping the Lord and having a barbecue, part of the sacrifice. So here comes Elkanah with his wives uh, offering sacrifices. Notice this in verse 3, to the Lord of hosts. This is the first time that phrase is used to describe the Lord, but that phrase is used 281 times in the Bible. This is the first time. Lord of hosts translates literally Lord of the armies, that God is the Lord of a host of angelic armies. What is so interesting to me in this story is that here the Lord is the Lord of hosts, the Lord of the armies. And and it's a strong term that means a God who is armed for battle. And that same God who is armed for battle as the Lord of hosts is going to stoop down and minister to one particular woman. This is a beautiful story about how God is so tender in the way that he ministers to Hannah and how he takes care of her and how he responds to her prayer. And and so here is the Lord of hosts, a very strong and powerful term for the Lord, but yet he stoops down to minister to one particular woman here. And it says uh, in the rest of of verse uh, 3, also the two sons of Eli. Now, Eli is the high priest at this time. And so he's there in Shiloh, ministering there at the tabernacle, along with Hophni and Phinehas, the priests of the Lord were there. Those are his sons. Now, we're going to find out a little bit later, these guys are wicked guys. These guys are, are troublemakers. 
they, they are practicing sinful things at the, ta- at the, at the tabernacle of the Lord. I mean, you just, these pastor's kids, they're rough. I mean, just telling you. And, uh, but we're trying to keep it shallow uh, for them. And, and so, and so that's the mention of Eli. He's the high priest. His sons, Hophni and Phinehas, priests of the Lord, they were there. Verse 4, and whenever the time came for Elkanah to make an offering, he would give portions to Penina, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, this is how we know he loves Hannah the most. But to Hannah, he would give a double portion, for he loved Hannah, although the Lord had closed her womb. And so, so he, you know, imagine this. So, Elkanah's traveling there. He's got Penina, uh, his, his second wife, and he's got, you know, kids by her, and he's got Hannah. Uh, and it tells us that he gives Penina her portion. So they're having the barbecue portion of the fellowship offering. And uh, Penina and her kids get McNuggets, right? But Hannah, she gets a double portion. He, like, brings out Ruth's Chris for her. You know, he's like, hey, I, I saved the best, the best of this sacrifice for you. Why? Because he loved her. He loved her. He loved her more than he did Penina here. Hannah was his first love. But it adds there at the end of verse 5, although the Lord had closed her womb. Now, what's the theology on that? Because infertility is a real issue that a lot of couples face. Uh, By the way, Hannah is not the first, nor will she be the only or last woman in the Bible to experience... uh, uh, infertility. Sarah, remember Abraham's wife, uh, Rebecca, uh, and uh, her husband Isaac, for 20 years she could not conceive. Uh, Rachel, the wife of Jacob. Um, Manoah's wife, she's unnamed, it's the mother of Samson. She experiences infertility. And in the New Testament, you have Elizabeth. Elizabeth and her husband Zacharias, that, and Elizabeth would end up giving birth to John the Baptist. So all these different women suffered uh, at different times with infertility, and it is a, it's a real thing that a lot of people have to deal with. But it says here that the Lord had closed her womb, and so this is challenging on, on different levels. First, what we need to understand is that God is the author of life. And as the author of life, He is the ultimate one who determines whether or not a woman gets pregnant. In Hannah's particular case, because it's going to repeat the phrase again in the next verse, the Lord had closed her womb, he closes her womb because he is preparing her for a greater purpose. The greater purpose of having a son who will literally change the course of a nation. We don't always understand why God does what he does. In his sovereignty, sometimes he does things that we cannot understand. And there are times that he does things that we will later understand. But what he does here in Hannah's life is he closes her womb because he's actually preparing her to give birth to a son who will change the course of a nation. But, but it's a real thing that a lot of couples struggle with. You know, we've, we've had different couples in our own church that have struggled with Infertility, and then, and then all that is attached to that, uh, going to fertility specialists and sometimes uh, with in vitro and, or exploring adoption. It's very painful. It takes a toll physically, spiritually, emotionally, financially, in, in every way you can imagine. 
Um, and it, it's not something in particular that has touched um, my family, but in just you know ministering to different couples over the years, um, it's it's something that is noticeably difficult. And um, and so here you have a, a real life story in the Bible where a couple struggles with this, um, obviously because. Elkanah has children with Penina, Hannah knows the issues with her, not with him. So she's going to naturally take this even more personally. This is difficult for her, as we're going to see as we continue to read this story. And, and so verse 6, what compounds her pain is Penina rubbing it in her face. Look at verse 6. And her rival also provoked her severely to make her miserable. Because, and then it repeats it again, the Lord had closed her womb. And so it was year by year or year after year when she went up to the house of the Lord that she, that's Penina, provoked her, Hannah, therefore she wept and did not eat. Now, they, they go to the house of the Lord year after year for this fellowship offering and Penina continues to provoke Hannah, rub it in her face. I can have children. You can't. It's not Elkanah's problem. It's your problem. I mean, she's taunting her. Penina is the first trash talker of the Bible, okay? So, and there she is, just, just trash talking, demeaning. It's demoralizing in every way. And, and so naturally, therefore, Hannah wept and she did not eat. Now imagine this, you go to the house of the Lord and you completely lose your appetite. Why? Because of strife happening in the home. And this is not too unlike even today. There are different times you will come to church and feel like I can hardly listen to the Bible study. I can hardly worship. I can hardly want to talk to people. Why? Maybe there's strife going on at home, difficulty in a marriage or difficulty with kids. It can really interfere with our walk with the Lord. And so we have to work harder at trying to focus on the Lord and not getting caught up in the pain of whatever might be going on at home because it translates. And, and here it is translating. So Hannah's weeping, did not eat. Now, uh, her husband, uh, Elkanah, doesn't make it any better. Look at the next verse, verse 8. Then Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? And why is your heart grieved? Am I not better to you than ten sons? Ay, ay, ay. Ay, ay, ay. Not good. I mean, the very first question is not a good question. No man should ever ask his wife, why are you crying? Okay? You know, sometimes, isn't this true, ladies? Sometimes, this is what I've been told, you know, sometimes you don't even know why you're crying. And so you can't even necessarily explain it. But a man wants to know, why are you crying? Why? Because every man, when he sees his wife cry, instantly believes and knows it's his fault. Right? That's, that's where every man goes at first. It's like, oh, she's crying. What have I done now? That's where every man goes. I'm just telling you, ladies. That's why a lot of times we want to know, why are you crying? Because we're basically, the question underneath that is, have I done anything again? You know, that's what every guy's wanting to know. But you see kind of a husband who, who desperately doesn't want his wife to be so burdened and grieved, but at the same time, he's being insensitive with his questions. Because at the end there, he's basically saying to her, you know, Hannah, 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 Banana Fofana, you know, why, why, why are you crying? Why are you crying, baby, baby, baby? You got me, you know, and I, 
No, that's not the right answer right now. He goes, aren't I worth more than 10 sons? Come on, baby, you got me. That's not the right answer. Because she, in, in her grief and in her heartache, in her sorrow, in her longing, the answer is just not, well, I have a husband. She has a longing here. And this is particular, you know, look, look, infertility in a couple, it does affect both a husband and a wife, but in particular, it will affect the wife. Just that nurturing element within a woman, the desire that she has to carry a baby and to nurture a baby and to, ha- and to give birth to a baby. All of that is very unique to a woman. But, and again, by the way, only women can actually have babies. Do I need to say that? Do I need to say that? But, um, but it does affect both, no doubt, husband and wife. But there's something in particular in, in a way that it affects the, the, the woman, the wife, that, that it doesn't affect the man. And the, and the man sometimes thinks that he can just solve it. And, and for Hannah, that's just not the answer. And, and for wives who struggle in that way, that just isn't the simple answer. Well, verse, verse 9 And so Hannah arose after they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the tabernacle of the Lord. And she, this is Hannah, was in bitterness of soul. Notice the language there. She's not bitter at God, but she has a bitterness in her soul. You know, this is just the emotion of what she's feeling, dealing with all this. But notice what she does. And prayed and prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. It's just one of these moments. She's just pouring out her heart to the Lord. And many of you have been in a similar place where you, you are just praying and weeping and praying and weeping, and you're just pouring out your soul to the Lord. And this is what she is doing. And it says, And then she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts. Now, here's that phrase again. O Lord of hosts. This is the first time that phrase, that title for God is uttered on a person's lips. So the first time it's mentioned in all the Bible is back up in verse 3. This is the first time that title for God is uttered off of someone's lips, and it's, and it's Hannah's. And she prays, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant. It's a term she's going to use several times in this chapter, just talking about, I'm just, I'm just your servant, Lord. I just I avail myself to, what, to whatever you want to do in my life. I just want to serve you. She says, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child, then... I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall come upon his head. Now, pause there. This is her prayer. She's making a vow to God. She's saying, if you give me a male child, I will dedicate him to you. No razor will come on his head. What does that mean? That's a reference to the Nazarite vow. The Nazarite vow is mentioned in Numbers chapter 6. There were three basic components to a Nazarite vow. One, and a Nazarite vow, both a male and a female could take. It was usually a, a vow that an individual would take for themselves. In this case, this mom is taking it for her unborn son. Very similar to Manoah's wife. She also dedicated Samson to the Lord with a Nazarite vow. And the basic components were, number one, nothing of the grapevine should ever Touch his lips. No grapes, no wine, nothing of the grapevine. Why? Because someone under a Nazarite vow 
was never to be uh, intoxicated. There was never to be any influence, any hint of intoxication. The second thing was someone under a Nazarite vow was never to be around a dead body. You couldn't go to a funeral. You couldn't bury someone that you loved. You were never supposed to be around even a carcass of a dead animal. Samson violated that, by the way, if you remember. Okay, and that was a matter of uh, consecration. Okay, no intoxication, consecration. And then the third thing was not to cut your hair because it was a sign that you were under the vow. It wasn't anything magical about it other than it was a sign to let people know that you were under the vow. The day you cut it, you ended the vow. What was unique about what Hannah prayed for Samuel in the same way that Manoah's wife prayed for her son Samson was that this was a Nazarite vow for life. Again, someone could voluntarily take a Nazarite vow for any period of time, be it a male or a female. In this case, Samson and Samuel were placed under Nazarite vows by their mothers for their entire lives. So she prays this to God. You give me a male son, I'm going to dedicate him to you. It says, and it happened as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli watched her mouth. Now Hannah spoke in her heart, only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. By the way, private prayers where you don't speak are heard by God. All right? If you just whisper a prayer, they're heard by God. If you don't utter anything and you just are praying it in your heart, they're heard by God. This is what this is telling us. But Eli looks at her and sees her praying. Her lips are moving. He doesn't hear anything. And notice what he says to her. Therefore, Eli thought she was drunk. And so Eli said to her, how long will you be drunk? Put your wine away from you. Now, what what was she doing that made him think this? Like, was, was she staggering in her grief? Like, you know, why would he think this? This is telling about the culture in the house of the Lord at this particular time. And he has good reason to wonder if people who come to worship are drunk because his own sons get that way. We'll talk about that later. And she answered and said, No, my Lord, I am a woman of sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor intoxicating drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. Do not consider your maidservant a wicked woman, for out of the abundance of my complaint and grief I have spoken until now. And then Eli answered and said, Oh, okay, well, go in peace. And the God of Israel, grant your petition, which you have asked of him. And she said, let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. Why was her face no longer sad? Is it because she believed the promise that Eli just spoke to her? Go and may God grant you the answer to your prayer that you're seeking? Or was it just simply because she as a woman of prayer had gotten the peace of God now in her heart? Okay. There's a lot more here to this story that we'll have to talk about, but our time has escaped us. We're going to have to close it there. Lord, thank you for this time in your word, and thank you, Lord, as always, that you speak to us uh, through the still, small voice of your Holy Spirit. And uh, Lord, I just want to pray in particular for those couples who are struggling with infertility, Lord, and just pray for your comfort for them. And pray, Lord, if, if they long to have children, that you would grant them the desires of their heart, too. And that you would just miraculously do a wonderful work that would amaze any couple that struggles in this way. And I, I thank you, Lord, for many couples who have had answered prayer in this regard. And, and we've seen, I've dedicated children to parents who were told they could never have children. And, 
And whether giving birth or whether adopting, we just thank you, Lord, for the the homes that open up their hearts and their homes to to children and, and how precious they are to you. Bless those who are parents and bless those who desire to be parents, Lord. And we just praise you and thank you together in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you all. That's all we have for today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. If you'd like to listen to this message from 1 Samuel again, or if you'd like to explore other messages from Pastor Gary, just visit our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. Under the Teachings option, you can download our mobile app to stay connected with God's Word everywhere you go. You will also find our companion resources. These digital study guides are meant to give you even more insight into some of the studies Pastor Gary has done and are available free of charge to you. While you're there, take a minute to subscribe to our podcast on Spotify so you never miss another message. You'll also find links with more information about the church behind this ministry, Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. If you're in the area, we'd love to meet you in person. Come visit us. You'll find service times and more information about Cornerstone Chapel at cornerstoneconnection.cc. With that, our time with you has come to an end for today. So put a marker in your Bible where we left off today in 1 Samuel and make plans to join Pastor Gary next time. Thanks again for listening to today's teaching right here on Cornerstone Connection. Got no place to go, but still you know, still you know you're not alone. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.